that I had never encountered before. So a couple weeks later, I came up to Pastor Scott and I said, Pastor Scott, Pastor Scott, do you know what you should do? You should preach a sermon on the Holy Spirit. I really think that, that the church, this congregation, that they don't, they don't necessarily know a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. It tends to be a little bit less emphasized compared to the other members of the Trinity. So he looks at me and he says, yeah, you know, maybe somebody, somebody someday will preach that message. Though, so, I never thought in a million years that that person would be me. So we'll see how this goes. But um, let me give you guys, let me give you a quick lowdown of the Holy Trinity. So first off, we've got, we've got God the Father, then we've got God the Son, that's Jesus, and then we've got God the Holy Spirit. They are three persons in one God. One God in three persons. And when you're explaining the Spirit, the Father and the Son, they're, they're pretty easy, right? Because the Father, well, we all have fathers, and, and I have a father, so I kind of know how that works a little bit. I know a little bit about how our Heavenly Father works from what we see in the Bible. I know how God the Son works just a little bit because I am a son, and I mean, we have the Gospels to cue us into what that looks like. And then we've got God the Holy Spirit. Ooh. He's very mysterious compared to the other members of the Trinity. But the Bible is so full of information about the Spirit. So hopefully, I would just like to uncover some of that today as God just kind of opens our eyes to who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does, how the Spirit moves. So there's two principles that we need to cover when we are looking at the Holy Spirit right before we dive into our text here. So I want to call this Holy Spirit 101, all right? Laying the foundation of information for the Holy Spirit before we look at the text. And the first thing that we need to understand is this. We need to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person. That's number one. The Holy Spirit is a person. We see this in in John 14. Jesus, he's about to take off. He's about to go home. And he cues in his disciples that when he leaves, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And every time that he refers to the Spirit, Jesus, he refers to him as a person. Check it out. This is from 1416. It says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor hears him. But you know him, for he lives in you and will be with you forever. Him, him, him. Jesus, he always refers to the Spirit as a person. And when we view knowing the Spirit, being close to the Spirit, we need to view that as having a relationship with a person. Number two, second foundation for who the Holy Spirit is. And that's this. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. We need to keep in mind that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, the third member of the Trinity, and we see this in, uh, in Acts chapter 5. There's some folks in the church named Ananias and Sapphira, and they're, they're selling some land, but they want to keep the money for themselves. So Peter, he confronts them on this. This is what he says. He says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. So Peter, he says here, he says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And in the same breath, he says, you have lied to God. So the Spirit is God. 
Now as we move into our text, what I want to do is I want to, having the foundation of who the Spirit is, I now want to look at what the Spirit does and how the Spirit moves. So we left our story right before the hammer was about to strike the iron, right about right before it was about to send the sparks out that were going to ignite the fire that is Christianity, that would eventually blaze into an inferno and spread throughout the entire earth, just like Dan was talking about last month. And the thing is, in Acts chapter 1, the disciples, they're not doing a whole lot in terms of proactivity here. They're huddled in a room, they're doing some prayer, that's good, and they're picking another dude for their crew. That's about it, all right? I, I think that they're, they're having a little bit of trouble with accomplishing the mission of Jesus. When Jesus left, he told them, he said, go make disciples of all nations, preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And if I was in that room with a couple other guys, my prayer would be something like this. Uh, God, how do we do this? And they, I don't think they know exactly how to start this mission, Right? But the disciples in chapter 2 are far different from the disciples that we see here in chapter 1. You know, and I'm sure that the disciples, I'm sure they're they're talking to each other. I'm sure they're sending Facebook messages back and forth, some sort of threads. They're throwing it around saying, what do we do, right? And they're, they're waiting on the Lord to come and empower them. And this is how he does it. So we're in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1. You guys, you can follow along on the screen or you can, um, you can look at it in your Bibles. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound... A crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? The Bible then goes on to list all of the places represented. I'm not going to take time to butcher all those. But continuing in verse 11 here, it says, We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, they made fun of them, and they said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter, he stood up with the eleven, he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. He said, fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the coming and the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me stop here for just a second. What I want to see, what I want you to see is this. The big idea here in Acts chapter 2. The big idea is that the Spirit of God empowers us to accomplish the mission of Jesus. 
Let me say it again. The Spirit of God empowers us to accomplish the mission of Jesus. If you're following along in the inserts with the worship folder, feel free to write that down. We have this monumental task, accomplishing the mission of Jesus. Something that on our own would be absolutely impossible to achieve. But luckily, we have the Spirit of the living God inside of us to help us. So here from Acts 2, what I want to do is I want to pull two ways that the Spirit empowers us to accomplish this mission. Two ways. I know in your inserts that you have four ways. Basically, I had like three hours of material that I was so fired up to preach, and then I had to cut it down to the standard 35-ish minutes or so. So while I would enjoy a three-hour sermon, I don't think you guys would quite as much. So um, two ways that the Spirit empowers us. Number one, the Spirit gifts us. The Spirit gifts us. Now, there's a lot of, of mystery surrounding spiritual gifts, surrounding spiritual gifting, and some of, the, some of the more miraculous gifts that we see, especially in the book of Acts here. And what I want to do is I want to try to make spiritual gifting, I want to make it as simple as I can for you. So let me, let me submit this definition. A spiritual gift is any gift empowered by the Spirit for the purpose of building up the church. And keep in mind, this is not to bring attention to yourself, this is not to make yourself famous, this is not to make yourself money, right? That might be more along the lines of a talent that you could use. This is a specific gift empowered by the Spirit for the purpose of building up the church. It's for serving others to glorify Christ. Check out Ephesians 4.12. Paul, he's talking about spiritual gifts, and he says that they are for this purpose. It says they are to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That is what spiritual gifts are for. So what are some of these gifts? I want to give you guys some examples. And we look at our passage first off. The Holy Spirit, it comes down. The Holy Spirit, he empowers the believers. And then they start speaking in tongues. And that, the gift of tongues, all that that is, it's the Spirit empowering believers to speak in another earthly language. That's what we see here in Acts 2. They say, how is it that each one of them Here's our own language. There's no interpreter. The Spirit is empowering them to speak in another earthly language. And that's all that tongues is here in Acts 2. Secondly, Peter, he goes on to list prophecy, talks about visions, and then he talks about dreams. And it's the same kind of thing with prophecy here. It's not so much like a mysterious voice and then somebody standing up the back and saying, Thus saith the Lord! Right, prophecy can be as simple as hearing a message from God and conveying it to somebody else. This is how Wayne Grudem, this is how he defines New Testament prophecy. He says, prophecy is responding to and repeating in one's own words something that God brings to mind. So it doesn't have to be as mysterious as some people say it is, right? I've seen prophecy manifested itself in, in this sort of way. For example, if, if somebody came up to me, or excuse me, if I came up to somebody else, and I said, hey, I think, I think that the Lord has been telling me that this new job that you're starting, that it's going to be really good for you. It could be like a simple word of encouragement, something like that. Or it absolutely could be more specific, more definitive, more authoritative from the Lord. All right, another list from 1 Corinthians 12 talks a little bit about healing, miracles. And I want to address kind of these last four gifts for a second. These four gifts would be under the category of more miraculous gifts, right? Gifts that we would see as miraculous. And you guys, you're, you're sitting there, and I know you're thinking, well, 
well, why don't we exercise some of these gifts in our church, in our church body? Where, where are these gifts? I've heard of other churches exercising this, these gifts. Why don't we see these? And there's basically a couple of schools of thought on this. The first one is that the gifts have completely ceased. They're completely done. They were only used for the first century, right, around Acts chapter 2. The second school of thought is that these gifts are alive and active today and in use by almost every believer. That would be more of like a Pentecostal kind of view. And the third view is somewhere in between. That, yeah, the Spirit absolutely can use these gifts, but maybe he doesn't necessarily use them, use them all the time. And whatever view you hold, kind of out of those three or, or something in between, I want to submit to you these three things that we, that we do need to agree on. First off is this. The Spirit is the one who gives the gifts. Number two. The gifts are not for your selfish desires. They are for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. And number three, if you are going to exercise your spiritual gifts, whatever they may be, they must be done in accordance to the guidelines set forth in the Bible. That is where our church stands on the issue of spiritual gifts, both miraculous and less miraculous. And those are the three guidelines that we need to be following. Now let me just um, let me share some quick examples of some other spiritual gifts that we see we see in use in this body all the time. I see these everywhere. You can have the spiritual gift of wisdom or knowledge, for example. Just just an extra dose of this from the Spirit, an extra amount of wisdom. Maybe the gift of faith. I've seen people in this congregation that have incredible faith, and it really encourages me to build my own. Maybe you could have the gift of teaching. Well, it's obviously some of our pastors, right? They get up here and teach. You could have the gift of administration. It's the gift of leading others. Maybe the gift of evangelism. I know some people in this body that seriously cannot stop talking about Jesus Christ to non-believers. It's awesome. Maybe the gift of mercy. This is one that I don't have quite as much of. This is a gift of... It's just getting together with other believers and just sympathizing with them, crying with them, rejoicing with them. It's awesome. And... There are so many more. No list in the Bible is an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. For example, I want to I talk about the gift of music, right? The gift of leading others in worship. We don't see it anywhere in the Bible. We don't see it in a single list in the Bible, but I would absolutely argue that leading others in worship is a spiritual gift. It's a gift empowered by the Spirit for the purpose of building up the church. Now, sometimes there can... There can be like a lot of discouragement when it comes to spiritual gifts. You may be sitting there and you may be thinking, man, man, Pastor Scott, he's he's just so cool. He just gets up here and he preaches every Sunday. And I just, I wish I could do that. That's just so awesome. Don't ever say that. Don't ever be discouraged because you don't have a certain gift or because you do have a certain gift. It's not about what gifts you have. It's about why you have those gifts. I want, to, um, I want to show you something, for example. You simply wouldn't be able to hear me quite as well if my microphone was not on. And if Pastor Mark was not back there at the soundboard like he is right now, running sound... 
there would be absolutely no purpose to me standing up here and preaching to you guys. You simply couldn't hear it, right? We work together as a team. And God, wherever he's put you, he forms us together as the body of Christ using whatever gift he's given you to build up the body of Christ. So never be discouraged by what gifts you do or do not have. Never focus on the what. Always focus on the why. Number two. This is the second way that the Spirit empowers us to accomplish the mission of Jesus. The Spirit empowers us to bear witness to Christ. Empowers us to bear witness to Christ. As Christians, we are all representatives. We are witnesses to Christ and about Christ to others. Look at Acts 1a. We talked about this last month, about this verse. It says, But when you receive power, excuse me, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This was the last thing that Jesus said to them before he ascended into heaven. And Jesus, he knew that his mission was hard. He knew that his mission was downright impossible. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, he is the one who makes it possible. And here in Acts 2, that's, that's exactly what we see happening. The disciples are being empowered by the Spirit and they're witnessing about Christ. I want to I look at Peter, for example, here. Peter is a prime example of this. This is where we're picking up our story. This is, this is what he says after the Spirit empowers him. This is from Acts, starting at verse 22. It says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God, he raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will always live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. It's all about Christ. It is all about Christ. Peter, he so easily, he could have stood up here. This is one of the greatest acts of the Spirit that we've seen. And Peter, he so easily could have stood up and he could have said, look, look at the Spirit. Look at the way the Spirit is moving. This is incredible. Praise God. But he didn't do that. He stood up and he preached about Christ. He stood up and he boldly pointed to Jesus. Because that is what the Spirit empowered him to do. That's the nature of who the Spirit is. He doesn't bring attention to himself. He brings attention to Christ. That's one of the reasons why the Spirit isn't emphasized as much as the other members of the Trinity here at Philida. Because the Spirit doesn't emphasize it quite as much. Check out John 15, 26. It says, When the counselor comes, whom I will send you, or excuse me, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, this is Jesus talking, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. The Spirit will testify about me. How many of you guys have ever been fearful, scared, nervous about talking about Christ with other people? 
Man, I know I have. It's a scary thing. It really is a scary, scary thing. And there's, there's a funny thing about preaching. The thing about preaching is it's pretty scary too. I've, I've heard stories of, preachers, stories of preachers passing out. I've heard stories of preachers pooping their pants. I've heard stories of preachers throwing up after sermons. It's ridiculous. It's insane. And what I want you to do is I want you to look at this from my perspective for a second. I am a 21-year-old boy so far in the middle of Bible college with five months of experience up to this point. I'm standing up here in front of you guys who are all much more experienced than me, and I'm preaching to you about Jesus in the Bible. By doing this, I'm not just preaching about Jesus in the Bible. By doing this, I am claiming to represent God, God Almighty, the creator of the heavens, the earth, and everything in them. That is scary. If that's scary, I don't, I don't know what is. And I will tell you guys right now, if it were not for the Spirit living inside of me, there'd be no freaking way I'd be standing up here. I'd be running for cover. So when you guys are sitting there and you're nervous, you're scared about talking about Christ, you're saying, well, I don't know my Bible that well. I don't, I don't know verses. I don't memorize verses. I mean, I don't know about Jesus that much. What I want you to do is I want you to rest on this. I want you to rest on the fact that if you've accepted Christ, then the spirit of the living God is the one inside of you. He's the one doing the speaking, speaking through you to others. Another thing to remember when talking about bearing witness to Christ is that God is the one who takes the active role in salvation, not you, not you, God. The only way that anybody ever comes to Christ is if the Father chooses to draw them in. And this is better for us because it's much less stressful this way. God is the one in charge. In the Spirit, He's the one who's going to put words in your mouth. You're going to say something in the Spirit, He's going to go, whoosh, 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 and out of your mouth is going to come this message custom tailored to your audience, whoever that may be. Right? That's, that's how the Spirit works. That's how the Spirit bears witness to Christ. It's the same thing with preaching, right? Another thing about preaching and me is that I'm not that good. I'm just not that good at it. But the Spirit is active and alive. And on the flip side of that, I could be the best preacher in the world, putting together the best message in the world. If the Spirit is not already working on your hearts, there's no way that it's going to matter. There's no point to me standing up here. Paul, he says a really similar thing. Check this out. Paul, he's, he's one of the key figures in building the early church, and he's a writer of the majority of the New Testament. And this is what he says about his own preaching. He says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. He's saying, I'm not that good. I don't have wise words. I'm not persuading anybody here. But this is what his preaching is. It says, it is with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Paul's saying, I'm not doing this here. The Spirit is. It's a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And it's the same thing with us. So let the Spirit demonstrate His power through you as you bear witness to Christ. 
All right, so those, those are two ways that the Spirit empowers us to accomplish the mission of Jesus. He gifts us. He empowers us to bear witness to Christ. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, what do I do now? I think, I think we've pretty well established that the Spirit is absolutely necessary if we want to accomplish the mission of Jesus, which we do, by the way. So that's, that's why we're here. And you're thinking, well, what do I do now? How do I, how do I get this power? How, how do I experience this power? And I want to tell you two things. First, I want to tell you what not to do, and then I want to tell you what to do. They're opposites. First off, this is what not to do. This is more of a warning. The warning is, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. When you feel the Spirit prompting you, when you feel the Spirit guiding you, when you feel the Spirit leading you and and keeping you in the Lord's will, do not resist that. The Pharisees, they were guilty of doing this all the time, and Jesus had the harshest words for them. And the Spirit empowered other believers to speak against that very same thing. The second thing is on the opposite side of that, and it is something to do. And it is as simple as this, and as complicated as this. Be filled with the Spirit. Check out Ephesians 5.18. It says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And the idea here is that when you've had too much to drink, when you've had too much alcohol, it takes control of who you are. You're not you anymore. It's what's making the decisions, probably bad ones. It is the one that is leading you. It is the one making judgment calls for you. And when talking about the Spirit, it's the same thing. We need to be so filled with the Spirit that the Spirit is the one leading us. The Spirit is the one guiding us. The Spirit is the one making calls for us. And that, that is why we need to be diving into the Word every day. That is why we need to be praying. That is why we need to be meeting with others. We see this at the end of our chapter. Check this out. After Peter's message, God, he adds not one, not two, but 3,000 new members to the church that very day after Peter's message. 3,000. And this, this is what they did. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. These are guys that were using their gifts for the kingdom of God. These are guys that were bearing witness to Christ. These are guys that had the model of church right. These are guys that were filled with the Holy Spirit. And just like them, they did something that I want us to do as well. I want us to recognize. I want us to recognize that this same Spirit the same spirit that empowered Peter to preach to thousands, the same spirit that added 3,000 to their number that day, the same spirit that hovered over the waters at the dawn of creation, the same spirit that knows the thoughts and mind of God himself, the same spirit that came down like tongues of fire to empower the believers, and the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That is the spirit that lives in us. 
And when we let him work through us, that is how we accomplish the mission of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, God, we just, we thank you. God, we thank you for your son. God, we thank you for the word. We thank you that you've conveyed these messages to us, God, and we thank you for your complexity, God, that we can study you our whole lives and still barely scratch the surface of who you are. And Jesus, we we praise you just for sending us the spirit, God, for making the sacrifice necessary to cover our sins, to cover our our transgressions, God, and, and Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and you would fill us up this morning, God. We pray that you would empower us, empower us to worship, empower us to connect to God, and empower us to accomplish the mission of Jesus, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.